Episode Note This episode of the Puppa Pod was recorded back in July 2020, and due to operator negligence, aka I was in my muggy basement apartment slash makeshift recording studio using a box fan to beat the 95 degree heat, the audio during parts of this episode, particularly mine, are not of the same quality as you have come to expect from this Emmy award-winning podcast. Can you even win an Emmy for a podcast? Well, not when our competition is WTF with Mark Marin, the Michelle Obama podcast, and Baby Yoda's Travel Tips podcast, Grogu's Go-Tos. Anyway, please enjoy our conversation with Spencer Lott. Sarah? Yes, Josh? Are we ready? I think so. Great. Before we begin, we here at the Puppet Pod would like to acknowledge and honor that this land where we are situated is on a portion of the Aboriginal territory of the Seneca people, and by extension, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. We pay respect to Seneca peoples, past, present, and future, and offer our care and gratitude to the land, water, and air. For more information, please visit the Seneca Art and Culture Center at Ganondagan in Victor, New York. That's G-A-N-O-N-D-A-G-A-N. Or online at www.ganondagan.org. Thank Thank you. Hi, my name is Spencer Lott, and I think puppetry is object manipulation for communication. Puppetry is hard because at first glance you think, oh, I can do that by myself. And then you quickly realize, oh, I cannot do this by myself. Hello, everyone, puppet friends, puppet fans, maybe puppet enemies. Welcome to another episode of the Puppet Pod. Uh, we're so happy to have you here uh, on the podcast that solves all of the world's problems through playing with dolls. Uh, my name is Josh Rice, and with me, as always in this audio adventure, is the one and only Sarah Stably. Sarah, how are you? Oh, I'm dandy. How are you, Josh? I'm hanging in. It is a hot box. You said earlier that uh, we were going to banter back and forth for a hot minute. This is indeed a hot minute, if there ever was one. (laughs) Oh, oh, yeah, because you're still, I keep forgetting, you're still in New York City. I'm in Prairie, where it is overcast. It looks like it's about to storm any minute. It's actually kind of nice. Mm, yeah, here it's a bit of a heat wave, and in the basement apartments or, quote, garden apartment that I live in, it's a bit of a musty, humid dungeon, and uh, if not for the dehumidifier, uh, this place would be covered in mold. So uh, I love my apartment. It's great. We're doing great. The summer's great. Life is actually totally fine and good. Yeah, that... that- Almost sounded convincing, but you know, I can, I can leave it there. I won't pry. I won't pry. You know, I actually do. I I do like the summer. Actually, summer is actually my favorite time of year. And I know a lot of people don't like to sweat, but I actually prefer to sweat because the winter time, especially where we're from, Sarah and Perry is so 
bone chillingly cold that I just can never stay warm. And I would always prefer to be sweating than to try to warm up. Yeah, I think uh, I used to feel differently. I used to really like the cold, but now I don't know. I just don't like going outside and getting frostbite within five seconds of being out there. It's just... And and layers. I don't want to wear layers. I want to wear as yeah. little clothing as possible all of the time. Well, I'm glad to see that you're wearing clothes. Not that our audience can't see whether you are or not, but you know. Mm, that is Confirmation, you... he is wearing clothes, friends. He's wearing clothes. Well, at least only that you can see from the waist up. That's That's for sure. Well, you and me both, Josh. All right. Well, that sounds like a good place to transition to our guest on this episode of the Puppet Pod. Uh, someone who also uh, may or may not be wearing pants. Uh, an incredible artist. And uh, I'm again lucky to feel like I can call this person my friend. Mr. Spencer Lott is here. Spencer, how are you, man? Hey, you would never give Dan Herlin that introduction. <laughs> That, that is that is specific. That is, I will take it as a compliment, though. I may or may not be wearing clothes, um, and I'm so excited, Josh and Sarah. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for thank you for creating this uh, wonderful puppet pod. I'm 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 happy to be here. Aww, we're glad Thanks, to have man. you on. Indeed, yeah. So, um, I know you're beaming in from Kansas uh, at the moment. Um, how have things been uh, holding up for you and yours? Um. You know, we are safe, we are healthy, we are safe and healthy, we have, <laughs> yeah. we have, we, we have some access to uh, green space and outdoors, which has made a huge difference for us, and, um, and we're taking it a day at a time, we're trying to um, uh, stay healthy, take care of ourselves, and, and also just... Uh, uh, give ourselves a break too. I, I think mm. be, being realistic about where we are and what's happening. Um, um, I've, uh, a colleague of mine reminded us, well, uh, maybe a month ago, and it was a great reminder that this is not business as usual. Right. <laughs> this is a a global pandemic wrapped in a in a uh, uh, cultural shift, and mm-hmm. and so we we all need to be uh, gentle and. Uh, aware and 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 helpful i think so yeah yeah a collaborator of ours kind of uh her name's madeline shout out madeline hey um she in in a meeting that we had previously made this awesome comment about rest as a revolutionary tactic which is Mm. kind of awesome especially in our field where you know we're all doing gig work and hustling to the next job the next job the next job all the time to have this moment of like, oh, right, this isn't normal. Like, even our version of gig work as normal is not normal. Right. Yes, yes. So true. It's good for us all to remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Indeed. There's a, there's a great uh, Instagram follow called the Nap Ministry. And mm. that also really talks about this idea of rest and, and what that as a tactic like Madeline described can really do to you helpful and uh good for a, a person to sit for a minute just like sit and think and listen and turn off you know whatever rest means for you so i've been thinking a lot about that especially being a new dad 
What is yeah, the, congratulations, what is the value? By the way. Oh, thank you very much. What is the value of rest and or sleep? I'm working on. I don't know yet if it's a short story or a, or a radio play or a. I don't know what it is yet, but um, this idea of the value of sleep and what would you give? What is the what is uh, what would you trade for a full night's sleep? How much is it worth? How much would you pay for a really good nap or one hour sleep? And if you could commodify that, what if there was a train um, that you could board, like a sleeping car that you could board? Um, and then you you check in for an hour, but after an hour you felt like you'd slept an entire night. How would it? Oh. How could that be commodified? How could it be abused? Um, uh, who who's checking into the sleeping car? Is it high powered business people and new mothers? And you know who who needs sleep and who has access to sleep? There's there's some kind of fun dystopian story there. I've been I've been I've been cooking on. And then and then in this new reality we're living in it feels that much more important so that's my pitch uh all right you heard it first you heard it first um hollywood producers because we know you're listening to this podcast about puppetry uh if you want in on this uh spencer lot ladies and gentlemen spencer lot is your guy um, okay, thanks Spencer. so much. Uh, I'll see you, I'll okay, see you guys well, no, later. That, that was great. We great podcast. did our business, business of the day. Thank you so much. Um, so, uh, Spencer, uh, as we uh, all, all know and, and we've been talking about, um, this is a podcast about puppetry. And I'm curious um, for you, because you're already talking about some of the, the things that you do uh, as a writer, but um, you're also a, a puppeteer and a theater maker and actor. Um, when someone asks you that really fun question at a party, especially if it's someone you don't know, or maybe a family member that you're meeting or an in-law for the first time, and they ask you what you do, um, do you have any go-to answers or ways that you, um, typically answer this question? Oh man. I mean, I love, I mean, luckily puppetry affords us this kind of chameleon ability, right? So it depends on the conversation. If it's somebody fancy that I want to impress, you know, I can, I can answer one way. If it's uh, someone where I do not want to have a conversation or an interaction, I can just be a very obscure about, oh, I'm an artist or, you know, I, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, luckily I get to play in a lot of different sandboxes, so it totally depends. It's You know what is interesting is how I get introduced often, you know. Ooh. Uh, people, oh, this is, you know, this is Spencer and, um, you know, he, he you know, da-da-da-da uh, Sesame Street or da-da-da-da, you know, films or... Um, but then there's, but then there's also people who are like, oh yeah, he, he made this little puppet show about Alzheimer's, you know, like it's a fascinating, I'm very, very fortunate to have done a a wide variety of puppetry. And so I'd say it depends on the room. I get to, I get to play whichever card I need to. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's always a, like you said, context-based answers. Yeah. What, What do I feel like today? And I know too, because, um, of the many sandboxes that puppetry kind of uh, allows us to play in, um, saying that you're just a puppeteer, not just a puppeteer, but the word puppeteer doesn't quite encapsulate what a lot of us do. And to Dan's point, like Dan doesn't make the puppet move. He's not in there like manipulating it. But 
everything else is what he does. So to say that uh, you are a puppeteer sometimes doesn't quite uh, do the justice to everything. And the connotation, right? There's no kind of standard or universal kind of image. The universal image of a puppeteer is probably like a librarian with a hand puppet or something. And so, so there's also like the, I don't know if it's the, um, uh, my embarrassment or shame or wanting to talk my, you know, wanting to be like, well, but I, you know, yes, I'm a puppeteer, but I also write plays and I also direct things and I also get to act. And um, yeah, puppetry, like we're the, the Amer, especially I feel like the American perception, right? When you say puppeteer, it could be it could be all over the place. Yeah, right. Uh, and you know, so much of it has to do with our lack of history as a country, let mm-hmm. alone like our own traditions or like cultural offerings. Puppetry certainly is not one, though. To most people, the big kind of influences, of course, Jim Henson and what he was able to do to really establish puppetry as a more mainstream art form, particularly for younger audiences. And I think that's also the connotation that we're often uh, associated with is, oh, you do puppetry, so you must do birthday parties and, and you must work with kids. And, you know, part of this podcast, I think, in a lot of ways is talking to the artists that work a little bit more in contemporary puppetry for adults, which was, again, a field I never knew about until I was introduced to it in, in 2012 at Sarah Lawrence and through Dan Herlin and Lake Simons. But you straddle both of these worlds mm, yeah. in a lot of the work that you do. So I wonder if you could maybe talk a little bit about um, how working with both of these kinds of audiences informs your work and um kind of how how one straddles you know yeah. both, both sides of this yeah that's interesting i do i get i get to play in both worlds which i love um and i'll spend all this time focusing on one and you know uh, creating a project there's so much time and energy and resources that go into it and then the thing happens and there's this huge release and or letdown and then and then you, you <laughs> move to the you move to the next and I love my brain works really well getting to balance. Okay, this was for this specific audience, and now I get to shift and do this specific audience. I'm and I'm not pigeonholed into, um, you know, only one only one audience. It is interesting. I I'm finding, and maybe it's because of the work I I do, um, either with Trusty Sidekick or with Sesame Street, that some that some of my work for adults, people will group it into the big. Like, oh well, this is for families, right? Uh, and I will have n- had no intention of making it for families. It's usually made, you know, for myself or for an adult audience. But it's not necessarily inappropriate, or it's not vulgar, or it's not hypersexual, or you know, it's not like any of the buckets that if uh, adult contemporary adult puppetry has to fall into. And so I find myself like, should I embrace that and be like, I guess it is, it is for a wider audience, or should I be like, no, this is for a- just because it's for adults doesn't mean it has to be. Um, 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 uh, dirty or obscene or, you know, those kind of things. So, yeah. It's, right, it's... right. Which is funny that I think a lot of people do when they hear, oh, I make puppetry for adults. And they're like, oh, dirty puppetry. Exactly. It's like, well, yes. no, no, actually. Like, Just sophisticated no. adult ideas <laughs> yeah. and adult themes. Right, exactly. Yeah. But it, but even people in the puppetry industry, I feel like, fall into those traps. And they may they may recognize your your complicated, your complex themes. But but language and content, if they if there's not a few buckets checked, they're like, oh well, I guess this could this should be for children. <laughs> so that's right. an, that's an, that's a re- actually a recent thing with um, 
with my my project with um, Michael Kaguchi at Here Arts. We're doing the the Dream Music program there, Basil's program, and. Um, Can you we, talk a little bit about what that program is for people that might be unfamiliar? Sure. So this is under. So this is all run through Here Arts, um, which is a phenomenal um, kind of hybrid downtown um, arts space. They produce um, primarily theater, but they also um, do visual arts installations and things in their space. And they're they are the ultimate kind of hybrid home. So they'll they. Um, both uh, commission and and um, rent their space and and program um, hybrid works opera mixed with with physical theater a ton of puppetry music um, exper- uh, experimental tech theater they do some really really incredible um, cutting edge work um, and because of that they have some really kind of cornerstone artists you know Kristen Kristen Martin Martin is the um, uh, artistic director and she's the founder and she's incredible and she's and in fact during I want to give her a shout out during this pandemic the way that they've the way that Here Arts has treated their artists is phenomenal um, and kind of have, has raised the bar for me for what what can be expected or what can be offered from an arts organization um, but they have people like um, Taylor Mac and Basil Twist and they have kind of a stable of of um, established incredible artists who have come up through here and who continue to to circulate through here and produce new work through here um and so there's the uh the here artist residence program the harp program uh it's been going for a number of years and um myself and my collaborator michael kaguchi are are in the puppetry wing of of that harp program right now we're we're going to do it's all upside down now we we were going into our third year we were supposed to premiere this show in december of 2020 Oh. Uh, we've been cooking it for three years, and of course, I mean, the theater's not happening for a while. So right <laughs> now, we're looking we're looking at potentially a fall of twenty one premiere. Um, but but in our our pieces, our piece is doing with distance. It's a bilingual um, English Japanese piece dealing with um, distance, cultural distance, generational distance. Um, we're kind of uh, Michael and I are, are mining stories. Both of our grandfathers fought in World War II, but on opposite sides. Um, and we're kind of mining our family histories with this remarkable true story of these um, paper balloons that Japan put bombs on and sent across the ocean to to and that struck and landed all over America. Um, but because but because of the the way that we've chosen to tell the story, there is a kind of a common perception like, oh, well, this this we could bring in high schools, we could bring in. Um, we could bring in younger people to this, and I and, and maybe I should lean into that. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's actually. Incredible, incredibly impactful that young people can see contemporary adult puppet theater um, that uh, and have access to it. Maybe that, that they wouldn't in other in other ways. So I I don't know. I'm wrestling with it. I guess. Yeah, I mean, access to puppetry in general, I think, other than what is on television, can be tough for a lot of people. And I think you know we work for the New Victory Theater as teaching artists, mm-hmm. and they do a really nice job of programming puppet works from all over the world that come to New York and uh, New York City school students can come relatively affordably to see these shows. And that is a way, but outside of major metropolitan areas, it can be hard to get someone to see a show like this that would normally, you know, have it brought to their community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing conversation, right? Within the American scene and within like specifically this like New York kind of Northeastern puppet theater puppet scene. 
Yeah. Um, who is it for? What's the impact? How, what, how, how broad or, and or how niche is that, is our audience and, and who is that serving? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I am so excited. I got to see a work in progress version of 9,000 paper balloons. Is that yeah. the title? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. It. Um, and there's a lot of overhead projector work. Is that still a big element? Uh, there, in the show? We've moved away from that. We've moved away okay. from that. Um, but, but what we were excited about is this kind of exploration between 2d and 3d and the and the distance between those things and so mm-hmm. there's 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 less overhead projector but there is still a lot of flat because Michael Michael is a collage artist primarily and a painter and a visual artist and so we're taking we're like theatricalizing her flat 2d work um so yeah the version i think the version you saw there's a lot of overhead but i think we're we're moving into more almost i don't know like giant toy theater 2d kind of work so yeah I am so excited for when we can feast our eyes on this piece. You and um, me both. <laughs> well, um, we are going to take a short break. And when we come back, we will feast our ears on more Spencer Long. The Puppet Pod is produced in collaboration with Dixon Place whose virtual programs are free, and participating artists are remunerated. That's right, artists getting paid to do what they do, even during a pandemic. Donations help us bring together visionary artists and adventurous audiences and support the community during this challenging time. So if you like what you are listening to in the Puppet Pod, please consider making a gift to DixonPlace.org. Dixon Place's puppetry programs, including Puppet Block, Mine by Shana Stripe, and New Money by Maria Camilla, are made possible in part with generous support from the Jim Henson Foundation and donors like you. Thank you. This episode of the Puppet Pod is brought to you by Wear a Face Covering When You Go Out in Public! The Puppet Pod. We are back on the Puppet Pod with more Spencer Lott. Uh, Spencer, I, I feel like you are one of the few people that I know who I think knew pretty early on that you wanted to be a puppeteer. This was like something you kind of developed early on in your life. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your puppet origin story and influences and how you kind of got to... Uh, this place where this is uh, pretty much how you make your living as an artist. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I like many, uh, like many young uh, American children. I watched way too much uh, Sesame Street. Well, I should start. I was, I was like a PBS kid, right? We didn't have cable in my my family. We we just had PBS, and so I go watch whatever was on PBS. And growing up, you know, like late eighties, early nineties, it was kind of a heyday for puppetry on PBS, and there was. Um, Sesame Street and Shining Time Station and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And there were all these great shows with a wide variety of puppetry styles. Um, And I don't, there was no single moment, but I just fell in love with puppets. I fell in in love with the idea that that there's this character um, uh, both on the screen, but then I loved the idea that there was someone underneath that character. Um, and I was looking for the rods to their hands. And I loved like the stagecraft and the magic. Um, I'm always too, I've got a few friends who are magicians or illusionists and we're always teasing because all the, all the illusionists want to be puppeteers and all the puppeteers want to be illusionists. It's like, <laughs> it's like the same kind of nerd brain. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. But I love that. I love the onstage offstage dynamic 
And, um, and for whatever reason, as a kid, you know, I said, oh, I, I want to be in the next Jim Henson. I want to, I want to do this puppet thing. And, um, I'm super, super privileged and lucky. And I have an incredible support network. I've got great, um, family, friends, teachers who, um, instead of, uh, you know, shooting me down said, absolutely. You want to be a, a puppeteer? Let's give you the tools to make it happen. Um, so I took uh, art classes and dance class and music lessons, and I had an extremely gracious and generous support network. Um, my family would um, would take me to the toy store to to pick out new puppets before I started making my own, and my grandpa built me a little toy puppet theater, a little wooden toy puppet theater, a little drawstring curtain, and I fell I fell in love with it, and um, I'm super fortunate to be, to be living the dream. Um, um, you know, I, I, I get to puppeteer on Sesame street and I have a new character on the show. And, um, I, I am one of those few people who started with an idea as a kid and now I've, I've got to, uh, see it through. And so I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I can just retire. I should just stop. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it. Thanks Spencer. Uh, appreciate your time. Uh, what are you going to official- talk about for the end of the podcast? I mean, this is. I think your official retirement, uh, <laughs> you know, is, will... this has turned into a, my retirement party. This is yeah, my it's life. Now your retirement and all party. my mentors and teachers are going to pop in. <laughs> so it's just going to be a, a, a surprise retirement party. You didn't know. I blew my own surprise retirement party. Um, Screw you, man. Uh, I'm never going to make it. Never going to make it in this biz, kid. <laughs> if you so don't very embrace fortunate. retirement. It's right. So I started early and I had incredible support to, to make it this far. And, um, and I feel like Josh, you, you appreciate this. And also Sarah, like in order to make a career, right, this is my, this is my full-time job. And I, I, Mm -hmm. uh, or I should say in the arts, you know, I'm related to the arts and, um, um, you have to be very agile and be able to uh, diversify your income streams and, um, this this little off Broadway uh, puppet show, you know, may not pay your bills this month, but the TV commercial does, and then you do some teaching artist work, and it's just it's a balance, and you have to be really focused and really uh, really lucky um, to uh, to be able to make a run at it. So I, I feel very very fortunate. Do you ever feel too that there were moments where you said yes to something, not knowing exactly that you had the ability to do that thing, and you were like, "Well, an opportunity's <laughs> here. I'm going to say yes to it, and I'll figure it out." But I'm not going to let them know that I don't necessarily have the skills to pull it off right now. Josh, I'm going to let you in on a secret. That's pro- pretty much every gig I've ever gotten has <laughs> been <laughs> that situation. Like Spencer, you can do this thing, right? And I'm like, yes. I can Google that thing and get very good at it. I mean, and this is, you know, this is part of partly like this, like uh, obnoxious white male privilege, but it's also this like artist curiosity, right? Of, of saying, yeah, let me, let me try that thing. Um, and following that. Yes. Um, I, sometimes I fall into trends where I, where I get really excited about um, saying no, or I make things more difficult than they need to be. But, but so often the most exciting projects happen when I just say yes and figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, def- I definitely relate to that. Yeah, I like that as a, a guiding principle for even young artists who are still struggling to kind of figure out, you know, 
the voice or even what you described, like if you really want to make a career in something like this, you really have to, like you said, diversify, embrace maybe teaching if you hadn't done it before. Absolutely. Yeah. Some elements of design that maybe you hadn't done before, but it is achievable and it is possible. And so much of it is daring to say yeah. yes to something that maybe you are unsure about or not confident about. And and while maybe none of us are actually just say for me, I didn't get into this career to become a teacher. I f- quickly found myself being a teacher because I was the only one in the room who who knew about it. I was the only one who had read the books. I was the only one who had actually practiced puppetry. So very quickly, you're put in the role as expert, and you can either reject it or embrace it, right? And and what, what's the exciting thing about teaching is that Every, every every group of adults, every every high school, middle school, every every preschool class you go into, I am potentially. I hope my goal is to open the door to puppetry. And it's like what you were talking about with the new victory and making that accessible and looking at uh, young people and saying, "Heck yes, you can make a career in the arts, and it will be fruitful and generative and." And you can still, you know, fulfill your capitalist dreams or, you know, fill in the blank of what what they're supposed to be doing. Um, Art is an option. Um, It's uh, everyone's got a different path to it, which is partially maddening, but also partially what what um, what what makes it accessible. So, yeah, I love being the person who can who can introduce the idea of being a professional artist and even more specifically a professional puppeteer. I mean, there's there's still I've known, you know, people who are still like, are you still are you what are you still doing the puppet thing? Are you still playing with dolls? Uh, it's like, yeah, I can't talk. I'm too busy playing with dolls. <laughs> I'm very, very fortunate. Yeah, it's it's a lucky thing. It's definitely a very lucky, privileged thing uh, to be able to uh, make a life doing this. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, I want to ask a, a little bit more about Sesame Street in a moment, but um, I'm curious for you in this time of, of pandemic and kind of the world shutting down, how has your motivation and energy and creativity been as an artist? Because for so many of us, it's just so difficult because we're you know, contending with so many other things on top of this wake of social justice uh, reckoning that's happening in the country that has also uh, been really uh, a a moment for us to listen and learn more. And then again, still creativity feels like a very difficult thing to access when we have so many things to focus on, um, and rightfully so. So I'm curious for you, like where you are sitting as a creator person. Oh, I mean, it depends on the it depends on the day, the hour, and the minute, right? I, yeah. For at least for me, I should just you know, as just to acknowledge that even though what you may be seeing is either saying you don't you uh, take care of yourself, self care is very important, and or also it's saying this is the moment to to generate. <laughs> you know, like I feel like when the first pandemic first happened, they were like, "Well, this brilliant work of art." Can- Came out of the pandemic and this brilliant thing. Um, I w- waffle wildly in between those two, uh, you know, kind of plateaus. And I have been asking a lot of my, I've been demanding too much of myself, I feel like. and But I've also been asking this question, like, what is a, this idea of a, the essential worker, right? And what is essential? And is my work essential? Are my stories essential? Um 
And then, and then there's also just the reality of it, of losing, I've lost every gig for the foreseeable future. I have no, I, I feel like I was kind of hitting a stride at the end of last year and early, early, even this year. And then, and then like so many people it's gone. Um, and so it's figuring out, it's embracing that and figuring out how, to, okay, so how do I diversify even more? And what, what can I write? What can I be putting in some hours on now that will potentially pay themselves back in the future? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I feel all those things. It's been, it's been a real, uh, a real story. And I, I mean, I am super grateful that I am an artist and that I have some of these tools. I'm also married to a social worker, which does not hurt. So she can, that I have in, inc- incredible access to, em- to tools, to emotional tools and to, um, emotional support, which has made a huge difference. Um, but these are the questions, man, what are we making? What are the narratives we're putting into the world? How are we making it? Who are we hiring? Who are we not hiring? Um, uh, why? What? What? Are, what is systemic? What is individual? What are we responsible for? Like these are such. These are the questions. Um, it. I feel like it probably feels like these are the questions of our generation, but unfortunately, these have been the questions, mm-hmm. and so many of us are just now asking them or being aware that we should be asking them. And so there's, you know, there's, there's the guilt and the shame, but then also the opportunity and the innovation and the creativity that can come with those things. Um, so, so all of it, man, all of it. Yeah. I am. There's I a will duality. Say I, yeah. Go for it, sir. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. There's, duality. There's a duality too, to this, like having this time off, right? Because again, artists in, in this like theater artists and, and in general aren't, considered essential like you said but there's also this expectation that now that we have time you should be making work even though you're not essential so there's this like and I think that's also something that we do to ourselves is like oh I need to use this time fruitfully but also like what is where is that worth and how does that balance out into into my work and what I'm doing and what I'm creating and is it worthy and is it helpful is it harmful is it you know I feel like it's questions. a I feel like it's a total perpetuation of the starving artist mythology. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because, because I don't know about you, but I I actually create much better when I have my needs addressed. <laughs> when I know that I have income, when I know that my I'm my housing is taken care of, when I know where I'm going to be, those when when those part of my brain you know are, are settled, then I can create, then I can make things. But when those things are in flux create you know i'm i'm trying to solve those problems i'm not trying to to work creatively um or i'm trying to work creatively in different ways i should say so the idea that this is free time um mm-hmm. this is actually <laughs> incredibly incredibly st- uh, stressful because this stable the stability what what stability i've worked so hard to develop as a freelancer has been taken away and so the idea that i'm able now free to make my own thing for no compensation and no promise of any kind of compensation in the future like i don't i that really that's a fascinating it's it's a it's quite a moment (laughs) it's quite a moment to be in so um so for whoever listening just know that you are not alone and you are not wrong if you if you feel both one that you that you're being judged for how much or how little you make with that nobody's got time for that we're all we're all doing our best to just to make it day to day 
Um, and to the idea that, that this is your golden opportunity to, to you know, this, uh, to, in, in, in me, though, that argument is coming from people whose needs are already met and it's valid and they can focus on making what they need to. But for many of us, this is a time when our needs are not being met. So, so just to acknowledge that. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, you know, another symptom of this like capitalistic system that we're all in, right. It's like, Oh, you yeah, have man. time, the commodity, it's a commodity, use it to then make a product and then you'll benefit from making said product. And boy, oh boy, like to have to choose like that when, like you were saying, you know, we need to take care of our needs and our family's needs and, and our community's needs first. Then let's try to see what we need after that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wild, wild. Um, well, one of the things I know, uh, we were supposed to see you and um, your company, uh, Trusty Sidekick, this summer yes, uh, yes. as part of the New York State Puppet Festival. Again, this podcast is... Um, one of the programs of the New York State Puppet Festival based in Sarah in my hometown of Perry, New York. And of course, we had to postpone due to the pandemic. But um, you are going to come with Trusty Sidekick as a co-director of this incredible piece that you all um, first developed at Lincoln Center called Campfire. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the uniqueness of this show, because I think it's geared toward an audience that... Um, specifically geared to one particular audience that um, really makes it unique and really, really special and why we were really excited to work with you, especially with a local organization up where we are um, yeah. in Perry, New York. Uh, well, so so this show, Campfire, is a, is a creation of uh, Trusty Sidekick Theater Company, which is a, a New York-based company um, and that we create a bold and original work for young people and their their families, their caregivers. Um, and so sometimes it falls from two to five year olds, um, sometimes, you know, um, um, six, 10 or, or, or older. Um, but in the now, I guess, four or five years ago, we've, we've been developing new work for a, a, a new audience for a new audience to us, um, um, which is, um, young people on the autism spectrum, um, or, or young people with autism spectrum disorder. And so, it's been um, a, a, a really exciting and fruitful journey, and like so many shows, you know, there's lots of big questions, and we've had to uh, both innovate and learn. There's been some incredible work already done, and we're standing on the shoulders of so many companies who have done incredible, fruitful uh, work for this audience. Um, and so, yeah, so, so Campfire was originally developed at University Settlement, and a very, very small, scrappy version of it at University Settlement. Um, I can't even maybe six years ago, um, six six or six maybe five years ago, and and um, Lincoln Center came to us. We developed Up and Away um, with Lincoln Center, which was the first um, show specifically commissioned for this population. We were very, and it was super successful, and um, and so Lincoln Center was hoping to to continue that success, and um, so we um, we we brought the show Campfire. Um, and so the idea was to bring the great outdoors to New York City kids. Um, mm. And so we built, we filled the theater with a with a tent, and filled the tent with the great outdoors. Um, and so the audience sat, the caregivers and the families sat in lawn chairs. All the um, young people sat on um, uh, blankets on on the floor. And it was um, 360 degree design. So there's a campfire in the center of the space with localized sound. 
and uh, lights and uh, um, uh, a fogger, you know, um, uh, a, a what would they call like a vaporizer for water vapor for some smoke effect, and um, and we told the story. We 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 kind of went through twenty four hours um, um, in a in a day camping outside with this kind of fictional ranger troop um, called the Dorothy Sanders Rangers. Um, who are sh- kind of collecting stories and preserving preserving stories as if they were nature or something else to be preserved, um, and so it's near and dear to my to my heart the show campfire and and it's continued to have a life and we've done some we've been developing it for some pop up shows we we actually got to take a concert version of it to a hospital here in the city and perform it for some long-term state hospital um, young people, which was super exciting. And we're trying to develop more initiatives like that. And um, so, yeah. And so then when the, when the puppet festival and and Perry um, contacted us, we're like, what is, what is something that we could bring to you, bring to the festival and, 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 and drop in, in a, in a really meaningful way, but takes advantage of the resources that, um, that Perry already has. Right. And so they have this nature trail, which, and you and help me out here, Josh. It's the it's the the first certified nature trail for um, autism for young people with autism. Is that right? What's yeah, the... the autism nature trail, sensory friendly yeah. outdoor uh, nature trail that uh, just got its full funding this year and uh, Ugh, it is on its way. So hopefully uh, by the time um, we can all gather again, uh, it'll be part and parcel of hopefully the trusty performance. Yeah. So we're we're taking a show that was already built on on this sensory experience of the great outdoors and we're bringing it to the great outdoors. So it's going to be, uh, really excited. We're trusty sidekick is so excited about this and we, we're, we're hoping it could be a model for bringing, bringing the show or shows like it uh, all over, all over the place. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're so tickled to have been invited to be a part of the festival and we're sorry that it's not happening right now, but we're, we're looking forward to when we can, when we, when we can come join your community for sure. Yeah, we are too, Spencer. Um, Why don't we take another quick break and then we'll come back and talk more uh, about puppets and work and art and life with Mr. Spencer Law. Sarah Stabley. Joshua Rice. You were from Perry, New York, is that correct? That is correct. Our hometown. Our hometown. And what is our hometown known for? Having 800 cows for every one person. More cows than people. That's right. But what else? Um, ooh, the Silver Lake Sea Serpent. That's true. We do have a sea serpent myth. But what else? Um, sometimes the air smells like cookies because we have a cookie factory in town. That's right. And then because of the cows, some days it smells like cow shit. But what else? Um, well, we have a lot of bars. And we have even more churches. Yes, people do love to drink and love Jesus at the same time. But Sarah, what else? Um, oh, we have a Carnegie Library. Oh my God, Sarah. No, it's the Silver Lake Brewing Project. Right, 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 right. SLBP. That's course, right, that's right. SLBP, which is our very own craft brewery here in Perry, New York, which just so happens to be the closest brewery to... Letchworth State Park, the Grand Canyon of the East. So if you decide to go for a hike and see some of the gorges or any of the amazing waterfalls, then after you see all of these things, hike on over to the Silver Lake Brewing Project where you can try any one of their rotating selection of 11 craft beers specializing in Belgian and classic American craft styles. Sarah, that's like witchcraft, but beer, beer craft. Which is better. It is better! No one's being burned alive at the stake when you go to the Silver Lake Brewing Project. 
Sarah, what kind of beer craft is really tantalizing your taste buds? Right now, uh, it's definitely the Saisons. They're incredible. I would say the same for any one of their sour beers. They also have incredible IPAs and a classic Western New York cream ale. And you can come and have these beers in the Tap Room, which is an incredible place to visit. That was once a horse stable, and before that, a silent movie house, Sarah. Think of it, Buster Keaton riding a horse. With beer. That's right! Who wouldn't want to watch that silent movie? But if you feel like maybe you want to stay more socially distant, these beers are also available for curbside pickup, or you can sit outside on their patio and enjoy the sunshine and sip a tasty craft beer. So Sarah... Perry, New York is famous and getting more famous by the glass. Because we have a podcast. Well, maybe one day, Sarah, a podcast about puppetry. That's right. We're going to make it big. We're going to put the town on the map with this podcast, Sarah. But the Silver Lake Brewing Project is already helping. Check them out at www.silverlakebrewingproject.com. are back with more spencer lot um spencer i wonder in the remaining time that we have if you could maybe talk a little bit about some uh projects that i find to be super interesting and i think a lot of other people might and first um can you talk about the show blossom because you and i both um work with uh seniors and and adults that um or have in some form worked with seniors and adults living with Alzheimer's and dementia uh, as puppeteers. Um, that was a program that I worked a lot with, and I know this show in particular focuses on that particular story. And I wonder if you could talk about Blossom and the process of making it and um, what it's about. Yeah, so uh, so Blossom was a show that premiered at Dixon Place uh, a number of years ago and um, was super fortunate to be uh, supported by a Jim Henson Foundation grant. And um, it was inspired by my my own family um, history, but then also a lot of the work that my that my wife does as a social worker. Um, she specializes in aging and dementia. And so she has all these relationships with all these um, with all these people and their families and their caregivers. And so my you know, I'm I'm a little wary of like art sometimes that sets out with a specific manifesto. But I, my hope was to make to to try and theatricalize a well-rounded view of the disease, a, a disease which is um, uh, horrible and tragic and takes people away from their family members. But my my wife gets to see all of the aspects of it, and she sees the little moments of humor and the moments of compassion and the, the moments of connection that you may not either as a family member or, um, be able to see or, or so, so yeah, so it was, I was trying to present a well-rounded view of, um, of, of one person's journey with Alzheimer's and it's from diagnosis to death. And his name is James Blossom. And the, the one of the conventions of the show was that the characters with Alzheimer's, um, were puppets and the puppeteers were their caregivers. So our puppeteers were in kind of scrub, like kind of neutral scrubs. And, um, and, uh, it was, he was a scenic, he was like a Hollywood scenic painter, the last generation of kind of classic Hollywood scenic painters and his, um, uh, dementia or, or Alzheimer's, um, which I know not the same thing, but I'm, I don't know enough to specify which one his his reality was that he would sometimes be in the his his um nursing home 
Um, and then he would sometimes slip into um, the the moments from his films, from the from the films that he worked on. So he might be climbing a mountain, he might be deep sea diving in a in World War II Navy submarine. Um, all these kind of fantastical moments. So it was, um, and this was this is inspired by by um, uh, many people's, my family's, and and other people's journeys with this disease and. The, this idea, there's a kind of a best practice that's validating their reality, um, wherever they're at, meeting them with where they're at, right? And so not um, not trying to correct them. Um, so what if we had a seri- What if we had a story that w- that validated this character's reality? And if he felt like he was climbing a mountain, what if we went there and we experienced that with him? So um, yeah, so I'm super proud of it. I had a crazy talented group of puppeteers, and I am. Um, uh, I, I did the puppeteer thing and wrote it and directed it and built the puppets and um, but luckily wasn't in it and, and got very very talented people and so it's a it's a still a story that's near and dear to my heart. I dream of being able to do a remount or or sell it or do, you know do something. I'd love it to see more. I'd love it to have more impact um, because I'm very proud of what I think it's trying to do or, or some of the conversations that it might might uh, bring up. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think you definitely uh, can feel proud based on what I saw because I think it does have a lot of really great conversations and celebrates the life of people that are often forgotten about it. Mm, and, yes. you know, what you described as something that I learned too in working with the population, um, we made a kind of like a, a crafting program in uh, senior living facilities and, and memory care units where we yes. would go in and meet them and you know, from design and building and working fine motor skills and socialization in the building crafting process to making a puppet and, you know, people know how to play. So there's no real like technique you're teaching. People put a puppet in their hands and they can kind of figure it out. Yeah. And then we told stories and, and it was just such a, a delightful thing. And you're 100% right based on uh, caregiving for my uncle who also had dementia Um we learned that quickly, like you don't say no to when he started to tell me these stories of, you know, hiking up volcanoes in Hawaii yeah, yeah. and surfing and like avoiding sharks. And I knew that that wasn't a part of his actual life. But when he would describe these things with such enjoyment and excitement, um, you will listen and you're there for that moment and then that reality that they're experiencing and you are calm and, and with them and present. And that really makes such a difference, such a, such a difference. And yeah, um, I just, and you've got, and you've got all that it. improv training, right? Too. You've got, you yeah, and yeah. I both have improv training. And so it's that same set of skills that, that yes. And collaborative, um, um, giving, giving them supporting their experience, even just with your presence, right? The way That's that right. you're, the way that you're, participating or enjoying their story that's it's crucial yeah 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 um so big fan of blossom and i too oh, hope that uh it can have some more life in whatever form it takes yes. um you've also had the great benefit to uh work on uh, another uh project based on what you were watching as a kid um in pbs you got to design the puppets for the mr rogers movie it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood with tom hanks can you talk a little bit about that i did i did it's still so surreal actually even though we 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 did the thing um yeah i you know it's one of those situations just the i was in the right place at the right time and i had just enough skills 
right to say oh yeah i actually think i can, i can pull pull this off and um um my family has a, a personal connection to fred rogers and so that made this whole experience like that much more meaningful and um uh, i got to spend a it's been six what was it, maybe six or seven weeks recreating these iconic characters daniel tiger x the owl and we had a pussycat all from, you know from the show and um we made what do we make six six puppets in seven weeks plus a practice puppet for for tom and uh and then and then as and this is like i guess to my point earlier like when you puppetry a four because it's such a small weird niche niche little thing when you're in the room people look to you for the answers and so so they they could you know they they um hired me to build these puppets you know inspired, designed by the the um uh, that were on the show and um, but then they were also like, well, now we're going to have to cast puppeteers. So now I find myself in casting meetings and they're like, oh, well, you're a SAG puppeteer. It's like, so now I'm in the film and well, can you, can, can you teach Tom how to puppeteer? Yes. Yeah, so now I'm consulting and, and teaching Tom Hanks how to puppeteer. You know, it's one of those things where you say yes and, um, and you, you lead with integrity and honesty. Um, um, but you also say yes. And then, and then it's such a it's such a niche thing that you can find yourself in the room with all kinds of wonderful people. So that that project was magical. I know I said I retired before, but I'd like to retire now. Actually, Great. after having done Great. that film, it was just and and especially you know we're all it's it's 2020 and we're we've been living in this political and social climate and to spend have an excuse to spend time in in the Fred Rogers world. Um, I mean, changed. I have changed my life for sure. And I was already a kind of a <laughs> disciple of, for, I was already a Fred head before this. And now I'm, I'm so, um, uh, I'm even more impressed uh, and even more excited about his work and his mission and, and what he did, the way that he impacted many generations of young people. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a dream project. And um, the, the script was fun and weird. The director, Mario Heller, is brilliant. And she she ran the entire thing um, to her best ability as Fred would have done. So it was uh, it was led with uh, uh, kindness and artistry and generosity. And, and, and uh, uh, I don't know, uh, she may have not have felt this, but it definitely felt like this to me, like a, a different pace. Um, and so because we all trusted her so much, um, it really made for a beautiful dynamic on set. And it was, I, it's just so, so lucky and privileged to be a part of that project. I got to, I got to work with, um, with, with my wife on, I got to hire talented, talented artists to come in and build these beautiful, um, 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 custom, you know, King Friday's crown. We made it, we, we, we got to go to the archives in Latrobe, Pennsylvania and, uh, measure everything and and because we're we are creating exact replicas of these that were going to be seen you know 40 feet wide on tom hanks hand so we wanted to we wanted to get it right um and so every button we had king you know king friday's tunic was custom embroidered we knit lady lane's sweater exactly to the specifications we counted every row and every stitch of her sweater in the archive and we recreated that with vintage yarns from the same period we, you know, we found the right buttons. Like we really, it was such a joy and thrill. Like that part of puppetry that is like, and you would know this, Sarah, like in the details of making that seagull mm -hmm. poop perfect and the right consistency and the right size and all that stuff. That Absolutely. is what we got to dive into these puppets 
and uh, really try and um, get them right. We we wanted to get them right. And um, when when I was first talking to the props master about the job, you know, there were, there was another company that was going to scan the puppets and three D print them, which is which is awesome, which is really a cool way to do it, and it would actually be precisely way more accurate. Um, and, and, I, and I was like, that's so cool, but that's not what I can do. If you want a, a little person in their little studio building the puppets the way that they were originally built, that's what I can do. I can give you the feeling of the handmade because they will be. I can't give you an exact replica. I can only give you my best version of these characters. And so, and so um, yeah, we got to do it. And it was, it, was a, it was a dream. The production was, I'm very, very proud of our work on the film and I'm proud to be associated with it. And yeah, it was, it was nuts. It was so surreal. It was crazy. That's a dream. It does, yeah, that brings up the point of like how much research goes in into all art, I suppose, but like into puppetry in particular, because you're scaling, you're researching how things are going to fit into the world that you're trying to create or replicate. And I think it's just something that sometimes gets lost because these things can be so beautiful and that's the first thing that you encounter or they can be so jarring or have such spectacle to them that you don't quite at least when I first approached puppetry, I wasn't quite sure how much was involved. And I, and then getting into the making process of it was like, oh my gosh, there's so much more to this and so many more prototypes to it too yes, before yes. you even get to the finished product. Right. And mater- so. materials research and color theory. And, you know, like you can get as nitty gritty as you want, which I think yeah. is why it attracts um, a specific type of artist, but also such a wide variety of artists, right? Because you can, you can really dive deep if you, if you want to. Yeah, the devil is in the seagull poop details. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. well, for for our audience members who are confused about seagull poop, we'll go into it at a later <laughs> time. But basically, I got paid to make seagull poop. It was a great time. And you, did a great you, should job. Probably, you should probably retire. I mean, you know what? I think I will. Great. Thanks. Excellent. We've had multiple retirements and unretirements on the show today, and I'm thrilled that we can celebrate both of your careers uh, and your achievements and um, know that you'll be missed. Your contributions to the industry will be felt forever. Can I hijack this podcast? If you, (laughs) this is a question that you, I would love to hear you ask for other puppeteers as you do more of these. I'm always interested in asking my, specifically my artist friends, what would you do if you weren't an artist? Ooh. What would you, I I'd be, question. I would, ah! <laughs> I'd be interested to see like what would all these um, mentors, what all these puppeteers that you're interviewing that I look up to or I get mm. to work with, or, you know, what would they be doing um, if they weren't artists? And maybe, and maybe the answer is always going to be like, oh, no, I'd just be an artist. But it, it is yeah. interesting to see like, you know, oh, this person would be an architect. This person would be a classical musician. This person would be a, um, I don't know. I just, it might be just an, an extra question for your, uh, your already deep canon of facilitation. Uh, and that's all Spencer. Oh, don't Ooh, yeah. That. Um, <laughs> I think there's a part. We're hijacking would, it back. Now it's on you. Good. It's back on How's you. That? Uh, I think there's a part of me that would be a be an architect. You know, it's still like vaguely related mm-hmm. to the arts for sure. But but I love. I mean, I think that's the part that satisfies the directing part of my brain. It's like making a world. Architecture right. invokes a feeling when you walk into a building. You're telling a story. So I think I'm super. I'm. I. I don't. I can do details on on tiny glove puppets, but details of like concrete and steel for a building scare me. I, I don't think I have the the uh, the drafting skills for an architect, but I do like love the world building 
nests of an architect. I'm super yeah. in, lately. I'm super into, and it's also having a baby. But I'm super into toy design. I'm like, Ooh. what? What makes it satisfying? What is the story of that toy? What? How do the materials right. talk to talk to that young person or talk to its environment? Um, so those are those are a couple that come, and they're both, of course, they're both like very creative fields. But th- that's my answers off the top of my head. Uh, Sarah, what would you what would you be if not working in the arts? Um, besides like, uh, honestly, I'd probably be like a hermit in the woods. That is awesome. Like park ranger, but in the most remote park available in the most remote wilderness, probably writing some like doing studies on stuff that's around there. I think that's that or an author, but I don't have enough of an attention span to like sit down and really like crank out books i guess so i think yeah hermit in the woods that takes care of the woods hermit park ranger that's i love that that's a great one yeah what would you be josh i think i would really enjoy being a nutritionist because i feel like there are ways that you can really help people by really like understanding how their own individual body works what they're dealing with health issues wise um you know, genetic understanding of like where they're headed and then how what we ingest in finding these natural homeopathic ways of uh, making our best selves. And oh I feel my like gosh. nutrition is like such a great way that if we all could understand how to like better put things into our bodies that make them feel great, then that would be like yeah. a really fun thing to be able to help people with. Oh, I love that. Changing the world through through food i'm food. i'm obsessed with that that's yeah what a what a what an excellent answer that's exciting um well okay i'm now retired so hey okay great congratulations i have some cake here still. it's like half a piece of cake and a watch that i can give you Ooh, solid yeah i i love um i i kind of want it to be a half eaten watch but it, well it's um, a puppet scale watch so. oh perfect Perfect. <laughs> you can fit it around your pinky <laughs> yes it'll yeah, be it's a pinky pinky. watch it'll be really nice um, I have a golf ball I can give you. <laughs> yes, a monogrammed golf ball. Perfect. Um, before we get to our very last segment um, that we call the Puppet Hot Pot, Spencer, um, I want to ask you uh, just quickly if you could talk a little bit about your role on Sesame Street as Samuel. Yeah, yeah. So um, I am I'm a, kind of one of a new crop, a, a new crop of puppeteers that they've been bringing on and training up. I started working at Sesame um, uh, around season 46. Um, and it's this incredible um, legacy. You know, it, it is, it's an, it's an institution and a legacy and it's a, it's a, it's a huge honor just to be uh, invited to be in the room. And then it's, it's, it's also a, a huge responsibility uh, because of that legacy and because of the impact that it has and, and the number of eyes that are, are watching any given song or sketch or clip and so you you want it you want to get it right with the most integrity you can and um you know those those puppeteers on the show are some of the best puppeteers in the world uh, um in you know in that like tv style and incredible actors and uh singers and improvisers and directors and so it's a it's a it's a dream it's a it's a dream and um i'm super fortunate to have some mentors there who are training us up who are kind of bringing us up in this very very specific 
kind of performance and specific techniques and and then also you know sesame is its own ecosystem and so there's there, there's where do the where do the puppeteers fit in on set and what's the relationship with the writers and directors and 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 how and then the show continues to um evolve and grow and and so it's um it's really exciting to be a tiny part of that and then specifically with samuel it's it's you know it's um, one of those situations where because of the work I'd been doing with Trusty Sidekick and Up and Away around autism um, and specifically autism, you know, uh, young people with autism, then then when this, you know, they introduced the character Julia, which is a character with autism on the on the show. And this Julia in, in, initiative, she, she was so popular. There's so much demand. There's millions and millions of families who aren't seeing their young, their, their kids reflected in any kind of media or anywhere. And so um, to, to, for Julia to be on the show made a huge, uh, instantly a huge impact. And so to Sesame's credit, they're build, they're trying to build out her world. They're trying to make more resources, both for young people and for their parents and their caregivers and their teachers um, for, for, uh, you know, best practices and ways to stay creative and, and uh, explain that family dynamic. So they, they made her a, a family. Um, and so I, um, I'm super, super lucky to play her brother is neuro, neurotypical, um, a little kid named Sam Samuel, and um, I feel very fortunate because I've gotten to see through through the theater work. I've gotten to see so many versions of Sam, so many siblings who are also uh, in any given moment asked to be a caregiver, and who are balancing this role, and who um, we 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 put a lot of um, even without specifically asking for it, we put a lot of weight on their shoulders. When they have a sibling with autism, they um, they feel that, and they and they often uh, act accordingly, and and um, uh, the family will will lean really heavily on them to to um, to to help out, and so to be able to give voice to that kid, to be able to give voice to that child, and who to just just to say, um, uh, you know, we see you, we see you, and and often these families. Um, much of the attention in the family is given to the the child on the spectrum, and so just to say just just to say that we see you to to the other children in the family, and to and to send some love their way to me feels really important, um, and so it's a it's a, a huge responsibility, and, and I'm I'm super um, honored and flattered and thrilled to be able to originate a character and to kind of figure him out and figure out wh- how he fits in with the family and how he fits in in the broader Sesame Street world and it's um it's a dream it's a it's a it's a dream do you get to do the voice as well yeah man so this is this is like a little known thing this is this is like Frank Oz's favorite like soapbox right is um and this is something that, I don't know it's a very specific thing for like te- television puppeteers um we do the voices for anyone out there listening the characters you see kermit piggy elmo ernie bert the the performer the actor is doing that voice this is not like um animation where you get select i think it, i think it comes stems from celebrity and having celebrities do voices of characters um that is not the case we are we are uh kind of a an interesting looking group we're below the frame <laughs> we are unremarkable but you know in in our appearance but we are uh, crazy talented and these puppeteers that do 
these these uh, Muppet characters are. They they can sing, they can dance, they can improv, and they can do it all with their hand in a in a monitor that's you know flipped. Um, and so yes, we do. So I get to do the voice. I I perform Samuel. I am the the kind of the soul and the heart of that character. I am his voice. I am his I am his actions. I am his intentions, his emotions, all those actor tools. We we do all those things. Um, so so it's um, it's super. Uh, that's that's kind of part of the performance. You know, Frank Oz is like, oh, the voice is only you know, voice is ten percent. It's ten percent. Everything. If they could, if the audience could see how hard we're working, they would be the least impressed with the voice. <laughs> the voice is the least impressive part of of television puppetry. So, yeah, it's um, it's it's fun. And then of course the the, the awesome thing about being an ensemble like that is that we get to do a little bit of everything. So I get to be a chicken. I get to be the letter K. I get to be uh, a honker. I get to be a duck, a, a, a duck whose shoe is untied. You know, like we get, <laughs> we get to play such as an actor. It is a dream to be able to do so many different types of characters. Um, so yeah, it's, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just coming up and in that in that scene and i'm thankful for every day and every episode and every little thing i get and so uh yeah it's it's the best uh what a incredible incredible journey spencer to like <laughs> see these shows on pbs growing up and now you're working on these shows and projects man I know. try not to think about inspiring. it yeah yeah it's thank you thank you i'm it's super inspiring. fortunate thank you thank you man um, well, we're not going to let you uh, retire yet until we put you in the Puppet Hot Pot. The Puppet Hot Pot. I'm out! I'm done! <laughs> no, no, I'm you gotta come back! <laughs> you gotta come back! He's running okay. away! He's running away! <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, my, that's my puppet That's my puppet feet. Um, so we're going to do... Uh, Taxi! <laughs> come on! Uh, a, a rapid fire series of questions with a rapid fire series of answers. Are you ready? I've been training for this. I'm so ready. Amazing. So ready. Okay, so here we go. Number one, is there a Muppet or Sesame Street character that um, lives in your heart as maybe your favorite? Mm, uh, I love Snuffleupagus. I also love Oscar the Grouch. Uh, I also love, um, also love uh, Ernie and Bert. Uh, a memorable place in the world that your work is taking you to. <gasps> oh, oh, so many. Um, uh, two things: uh, Radio City Music Hall and the Kennedy Center. Nice. Oh, um, wait, I have one. I have one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, Sarah. Okay. Ah, what's the worst thing that happened during a live puppet show? Oh my god. Well, so the, the uh, one that happened recently was at the Kennedy Center during the live <laughs> taping of the Kennedy Center Awards. Um, I was assisting for Ernie, for an incredible, talented puppeteer named Peter Lenz. And as soon as he popped Ernie up, his mic pack fell out of his... We were all wearing tuxedos, and it fell out of his tux. And so I spent the entire performance, instead of doing my one job, which is being journey, Ernie's right hand, I spent the entire performance jamming his mic pack back into his pants because we were going to have to stand up at the end of the thing to go out and like recognize. And there's Steven Spielberg, and there's my buddy Tom Hanks. <laughs> And George Lucas, you know, everyone, everyone is there, and I'm, and I, all I have to do is get this mic pack back in his pants. So that was an, ex- that was an exciting adventure. I did do it. I did do it. Nice. Oh that's that's an incredible, incredible story. Oh, um, 
What is it about um, being a dad uh, that uh, maybe has like changed your perspective on something? Oh, uh, I have to be present, or I am invited to be present because she doesn't care. She doesn't know what's happening. She's not worried about my deadline. She's not worried about my emails. She's worried about this ball or this spoon of oatmeal or this Cheerio. And so it's a real invitation for me to be present in my life and present in that moment. And it's very hard for me and it's really fruitful. It's a really fruitful exercise. So I'm very thankful for that. Nice. Um, have you developed any new hobbies or explorations during this quarantine time? Oh my gosh. So my favorite thing is to make fun of people who are making bread. And <laughs> Yes! And so... <laughs> <laughs> so, I am. I'm. I came up with this like thing that was like, if I'm, if I bake enough bread, will you give me my job back? And I, but of course, I then became bake. I bake a ton of bread, and I made some cinnamon rolls, and I made focaccia, really good focaccia, and um, other things. You know what? Actually, I have been in an obnoxious artist way, and this comes from a place of privilege because my wife has been able to keep working, so she works remotely, so we have some income coming in, even though mine is completely stalled. So this is super, super privileged. I'm, I'm, my, my needs are met, right? So I'm able to do this. Um, but I've been doing voiceover class. I've been doing like commercial voiceover classes and I've been watching master classes and there's this program called Domestica um, where they offer like kind of like graphic design things like drawing um, on tablets and um, picture book writing. And so I've been trying to I've, I've been trying to treat it a little bit like professional development. Um, and to diversify my income because it's been made very clear to me that maybe puppetry theater is, is not sustainable currently. Um, so I've been trying to diversify my artistic input. So so short story, bread, long story, um, um, drawing. Amazing. Um, do you have any more like dreams in the puppet field to achieve? Because you've done so many so far. Is there like anything else that like, like really if I were to come you? out of retirement? Um, if you were, if you were to come out of retirement, if I were to, what come would out coax of... you out of? Retirement? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, what would bring you back? This is, this is so obnoxious. First, this guy thinks he should have the same introduction as Dan Hurlan, and now he's just retired. <laughs> Um, so let's see, I, you know, I'm right, honestly, right now, I am the most excited about hiring my talented friends, Yeah. both in theater and in film. I have incredible friends who are the best at what they do. They are so good. And all I want to do is get opportunities, um, to hire them and to get out of their way and to let them do their best work. And so my dream is to is to uh, create a vehicle for that to to pitch shows to sell concepts so that I can say not only can I can I tell this story but I can tell you I can bring along a team of people who can tell it with integrity and heart. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like that. I don't know what that means, and I don't, and I'm far from that right now. Um, but I, I hope that my trajectory. I hope that I'm building towards something where I can just. There's no better feeling than being able to hire your talented friends and pay them what they're worth, right? And like really take care of them, take care of them emotionally as a manager, and make sure that yep. that, that they're being taken care of artistically, but also, um, also financially. That like that is it's no small thing. And, and I'm so thankful for the people who have done that for me. So I feel like that is something that I aspire to aspire to do. Yes, sir. Uh, one final question. Uh, if um, this is indeed your 
retirement party. Um, <laughs> what is it that you want people to say about you and in, in your work and uh, the way that you treated people? Oh, Lord. I mean, that's that's requiring some real self, uh, self-reflection. I... I would I would be honored, I would be flattered. I would I hope that people when they get to work when I get to work with other people I hope that they say that I have a that I have a sense of play. Um the people I love the most are, are are the ones who really know how to play and play seriously and really play to, to you know to the stars and back and um and then and then I'm also turning I don't know what I can't I haven't named it yet but I'm also super interested in this um this idea of like the the Fred Rogers test and does does the work I'm doing meet the Fred Rogers test in or my own version of that is it um what I think in another interview you you were talking about like what am I making am I is this art making the world better right or is this helping who yeah. is this helping and so I I, I I hope that the stories I'm telling or the, or the projects I'm working on my my goal is to try and try and do that in those projects um, so I'd hope that people people might see that or try and try and encourage me to continue to do that because I think it's an ongoing it's an ongoing process well it's tricky it's a tricky question as an honored guest at your retirement party um, I would have to say I think you are doing that and you're on your way to continuing doing that based on what you've already done in your career Spencer and you know how you live your life which is like you said so many times but I believe this to be true based on how I know you uh, you lead with integrity and um, it's awesome to see how you are applying this to your work in communities that really uh, need it so it's, it's uh, a delight to watch and lucky to be able to call you a pal and so glad you could spend time with us today oh my gosh the, 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 the pleasure is all mine thank you so much for thank you for making this this is no small thing this is a collection of this is uh, almost an ethnography or this is a collection of where the field is right now in this moment of time right and so this is this is important stuff that you guys are doing and it's um that you all are doing and it's it's really um i uh, just want you know it's it's fun and interesting conversations with interesting people but this is a time capsule i'm i'm um so excited for um, I think this is going to make an impact, and I'm I'm just thinking of that kid in Kansas, right? Which was which was me 20 years ago. Where are they accessing the field? Where are they accessing art or their own creativity? And this is another outlet. You're opening another door for them. Um, I'm so I'm so I'm so grateful for you for doing this. So thank you. The Puppet Pod, hosted by Josh Rice and me, Sarah Stabley. Produced and engineered by also me, Sarah Stabley. Additional editing by Josh Marks. Theme song and incidental music by Seth Forgolzia. Additional music by Hazar and Scott Holmes. Executive produced by Dixon Place and the New York State Puppet Festival, a program of Shake on the Lake and Josh Rice Projects. Support is provided by Dixon Place, the Jim Henson Foundation, the National Endowment for the Arts, and the Arts Council for Wyoming County Community Arts Grant. This decentralization program is made possible in part with funds from the New York State Council on the Arts, with the support of Governor Andrew Cuomo and the New York State Legislature, administered in Wyoming County by the Arts Council for Wyoming County. 
To make donations, please visit shakeonthelake.org or dixonplace.org. For more information about the artists featured on our podcast, please visit www.thepuppetpod.com. Yeah, we go, we go.